0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of AdventuresIn.net. I'm Sean Clabo, your host, and with me today, co-host, Mark Miller. I did it!
1: Hey! <laughs> I'm here. It feels like it's it's almost real. Like, I, I think I'm like a regular now, all of a sudden. I'm starting to feel it.
0: Mm, so AR or VR with you?
1: Well, uh, I guess AR. That's probably <laughs> the best. I think I think we need some 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 wimpy kids in here that are like I just want to be a host so I can be like kids you gotta you gotta be like me I earn my dues I pay my dues <laughs> like that something like that I don't know
0: okay we'll figure it out thank you <laughs> and we got Adam Vermonik hey Adam hello folks. long time no see so you've been out uh, a little bit you doing some
2: conferences. Traveling for conferences. Yes, some in Europe, some in the U.S.,
0: but now back home. Wow. How's your frequent flyer miles doing? <laughs> Honestly, I have so many of
2: those that like I stopped keeping track. But, but anyway, funny thing, this time when I flew to U.S., I was working in European time zone. So I was waking up 2 a.m. and going to bed around 6, 7 p.m. That was fun. <laughs>
0: Yeah, lots of fun. Yeah, I just got back from a trip myself, but it uh, wasn't that far. We, uh, My wife and I went to Wisconsin to visit some family. So it was a quick five-day trip and didn't get many miles out of that. So I think I'm good. So, uh, so I think what we're going to cover today is an article that uh, you wrote, Adam, and it's dealing with async, async await, and why it's just one big mistake. Uh, you know, I think that might be debatable for some people out there, but uh, I think... couldn't agree I think, more. <laughs> I think you could probably convince us otherwise and why we should go through all of my code and take it out. So where do we start? Well, yeah, like there is this argument that... Async
2: is now prevalent, and it's everywhere. Um, But some of us may actually remember, some of us dinosaurs, I should probably say, may actually remember when async was introduced like a decade ago. And we really had to go through our code bases and and replace, rewrite all of them. Uh, We believed that would happen one time only, Um, but now it may be that like in the upcoming years we will need to do something similar again. But stay tuned. I want you know show all the cards now. Um, so for this article, um, we can actually walk through it one by like line by line, just a little bit. And for all the listeners, I also have like YouTube and um, conference talks about the same topic. So if you find this boring, <laughs> feel free to
0: watch the other. Okay. Well, uh, I think Mark and I do remember the day where we were walking around with the T-Rex. So yeah, we are dinosaurs. Yeah, I kicked it in the nuts,
1: man. It was the last one. I, I was the one who ended the dinosaurs.
0: Just out of arm's reach. That, that's it. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: That's
0: okay. true. <laughs> All right. So first thing you you talk about, you you say it's expensive. So what do you mean by expensive? Well, actually. Couple reasons why I
2: consider async expensive. One of them is the state machine. Whenever we actually have um, like a method marked as async in C sharp C sharp code, it's worth understanding that this async is just for the for the C sharp compiler. It's not something that is built into the .NET platform .NET runtime. Nothing like this. It's just the C sharp compiler that does some magic behind and transforms our method into a coroutine. A coroutine, which is a method that can be basically paused somewhere in the middle, and then resumed later on. And this is implemented. The same is actually happening for the yield return keyword. Whenever we have yield return in a method, compiler replaces this method with some clever go-to code. Some of us may consider go to being harmful, uh, but anyway, uh, there is some go to there is some uh, some state machine that really does the magic behind the scenes, and this state machine is not free. Um, and I recall, and I actually am looking into my notes that even according to some benchmarks uh, from Microsoft um uh, the 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 performance overhead for the state machine. Is something like couple hundred bytes for each method invocation. That was something like eighty-eight bytes for for a method that like completed synchronously, uh, or even up to like three hundred bytes to something that hasn't completed synchronously yet. So if we whenever wait for a method, I mean await, then this state machine consumes quite a lot of memory for every method. And because now async is Literally everywhere. I'm just looking for the day when we have console write line async. Uh, then this three hundred bytes or whatever is like the, the the price we pay with every method invocation.
0: That's big. So machines have, you know, gigabytes of memory nowadays and you know even more than that. So, you know, a couple hundred bytes. What's the problem with that? The problem, uh, yeah, you are right. We have gigabytes of memory,
2: and it seems like it's not a big deal. Um, and it wouldn't be if that memory was allocated on a stack. The problem is when it's allocated on a heap, and then this memory needs to be garbage collected. Um, we do not have uh, like uh, optimization in .NET. Uh, the escape analysis in .NET that would allocate memory on the stack for like reference objects. This optimization was announced some time ago. To the best of my knowledge, it's not there yet in the production .NET. Maybe one day it will be there. Um, but because uh, it's not there, then whenever we allocate a task and we do that for 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 async methods quite a lot, then those objects land on the heap and need to be garbage collected later on. And um, so it's not the cost basically of the memory per se. It's the cost of the garbage collection that you need to run behind the scenes that you need to execute much more often, much more frequently nowadays. Um, and there's one more thing, which is funny actually, because when we really dig deeper into this whole async and whatnot, there is this concept of pass through methods. Pass through method is basically a method that basically awaits something and returns the result immediately and the question is should we await inside the method and then return or should we just return the task without awaiting it Um, and the the guideline like nearly 10 years ago was not to await was to return the task directly i even believe Stephen cleary mentioned something like that on his blog now Kinda Microsoftish guidelines. I mean Microsoftish because they are not official, but it's like a repository about best practices in .NET uh, by Stephen Taub. I think um, mentions that the guideline now is to await and then return, meaning that we are recommended to to allocate even more memory, um, and this is expensive. We can see that Microsoft is aware of that. That's why we have value tasks right? Instead of just the tasks. Uh, And there is this fantastic blog of Joe Duffy, I think, Joe Duffy. uh, He was blogging about Midori. Midori was like an operating system in Microsoft Research um that was a uh, whole meter Win API counterpart was implemented with async, but it was implemented using value tasks instead of tasks. And Joe Daffy, I think in his blog, he mentioned at some point that if he could like uh, turn back time. And change how async was implemented. He would make it use value tasks instead of the heap allocated tasks, just because of this memory consumption.
0: So is is that in and of itself a reason to not, you know, use async? Could be uh, I probably wouldn't say it is uh
2: just because most of us we are implementing like line of business applications, right our apps are heavily crud based or whatever that like we waste much more time and memory on parsing JSON here and there and passing it over and over. So probably just using async would not be that that much of a deal. Uh, but if we Google or if we look for like high performance.NET courses or tutorials, one of the first thing that people mention is do not use link. So instead of going with where select and other uh, methods like that, go with regular for loops and and second thing is do not use async because async allocates that memory so if we are in like heavy uh memory and performance optimized part of the code this could be a reason for us to drop the, the async altogether.
0: and does it make a difference if you're doing like a, a desktop application versus a web app
2: that's a very good question, actually. Um, probably yes, in terms of allocation, but conceptually there should be no difference. I mean, in web applications, we back then we had the con- concept of, what was that? C10K, I think it was. Uh, C10K was uh, proposed in early 2000, I think. Um uh, that was the concept that we should implement our web applications uh, that each node each machine in our fleet should be capable of of accepting and maintaining 10000 concurrent connections uh, that's why that's where the name comes from and that was back in the days when we were just you know doing socket accept socket accept then creating new thread to handle such a connection so it was heavy resource, uh, like expensive to to handle that many connections. Then we changed the idea of, you know, uh, how we should implement the multi-threading in web apps instead of having one dedicated thread for each connection. We switched to kind of reactive programming, asynchronous programming. Node.js was one of the first one to heavily propose this idea of having just one thread and still being able to to deal with multiple uh, connections at the same time and um, but the outcome of this whole whole discussion is that probably because you have so many connections in the web world then you allocate and release memory much more often so that's something probably that doesn't happen that much in desktop world or in mobile applications right over there you probably do not have those very short-running connections that you Constantly open and close multiple times every second, right? So while conceptually answering your question, conceptually, there should be no difference between desktop and, and web application because we allocate uh, so many uh, short uh, living objects in web app that may be some, you know, performance, different performance characteristic that we should be aware of.
0: Yeah, because one real good benefit uh of using async on a desktop app is not uh not locking up the GUI. You know, back you used to have to use the background task to do anything that you still wanted the GUI to be responsive and things like that. And so using async uh really has made that a lot easier. So there's probably trade offs depending on what you're doing. So you got to, everybody that's listening has to decide for themselves, you know, what's what's uh, more valuable to them, some of the ease of use of async, uh, the benefits versus the the costs that you're going through today. So, yeah, hundred yeah. percent, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, the next section of your article talks about, you know, it doesn't uh, integrate with the rest of the platform very nicely. So, um, where do we where do we go there?
2: yeah that's big actually uh and it's again historical historical especially that like to understand a little bit more um of what is going on generally in asynchronous programming not only in dotnet but in other languages uh we need to be aware that uh the concept of coroutines um the the functions that you can pause in the middle Is not new. This is something that has been with us in computer science for many decades. This concept was heavily used by like SQL server where .NET platform experimented with it quite a lot. And there was even a very nice white paper from Microsoft Research. I think that was sometime around 2015, maybe 2017. Uh, that white paper clearly stated that coroutines are are way better than like a multi-threading model based on this one to many threads. Uh, that we have one thread in the kernel and m and threads running in the user space if you ever taken like concurrent programming or kernel programming course at your university you probably remember there was those three concepts of like one-to-one mapping one-to-many and many-to-many uh, when it comes to threading um, and the thing from like computer science perspective is that um, and Coroutine can emulate that, that mappings, these mappings from one thread to many threads or from many threads to many threads. So after experimentation with Coroutines in SQL Server, .NET platform, Microsoft decided, nah, those mappings, those user uh, thread, user space threads are not worth using anymore, and the green threads should be banned. And and because of that, coroutines, at least back then, seemed like they won the battle. But the problem with coroutines is you need to understand that a coroutine, which is basically method using yield return in .NET or method using async and await, is kind of incompatible with the rest of your code base. And why is that? In computer science and in .NET, we call that function coloring meaning that one color function can call some other color function, but not the other way around. And in .NET we can clearly see that, that you can't just call asynchronous method from synchronous code without doing really black magic to wait for the result, right? And .NET is telling you, or C Sharp is telling you, you should not be doing black magic. You should be just propagating async all the way up. This is like the very first answer you hear. How do I wait for asynchronous method? You don't. You basically await the method and you rewrite your code base. And back then, 10 years ago, uh, we had to rewrite our code bases heavily to have async literally everywhere. It's not a problem today, especially when you have a Greenfield project, right? Uh, Because you start your code base from scratch, async is everywhere, no problem at all but with some applications that like a couple of years back or applications that interoperate with different languages, for instance, Visual Basic uh, or C++. uh, It's not an easy task to, to you know, merge that code, which is synchronous and asynchronous. And async makes it way, way harder uh, because it spreads like a cancer for your code base. You put it in one place, it needs to be everywhere. So the very first thing Uh, when we say it doesn't degrade with the rest of the platform is you need to have async all the way up. If you put async in one place, you need to propagate it. Otherwise, well, you'll hit deadlocks and other issues, but we'll cover that later on.
0: I I definitely have to agree with you there. That was one thing that really drove me crazy when I was starting to implement async in all my code, and that's being able to or, or needing to go all the way up the chain to get to the very top and then start it from there and then go all the way down you know it also you know dependency injection could be that way as to, as well sometimes so that does drive me crazy but uh yeah
2: yep yep and it's just the beginning like just like we say oh, async all the way up we probably should also say configure await false all the way down and some people may actually ask what this what is this? This configure it false, and you kind of touched upon the topic, Sean. Like um, when we talk about desktop applications, and you said that the UI doesn't freeze when we use async await, right? Um, that is because when we use async and await, well, as with all the concurrency um, uh, primitives or concur- concurrency mechanisms we always need to answer the question, hey, can those things be executed like in parallel by multiple threads or whatever? And in .NET, especially when we are talking about desktop applications, there is just one designated thread, which is the UI thread, which should be allowed, which is allowed to touch like your controls, buttons, windows, whatever else you have there. Um, So what is implemented behind the scenes is the so-called synchronization context, which is actually even more important than the async and await keywords, Uh, but it's much, uh, much less uh, popular uh, when people learn about this mechanism. But anyway, long story short, this synchronization context in desktop apps takes care of taking all your continuations and running them on one thread, on the UI thread. And you can change that behavior, meaning you can ignore the synchronization context. And this is what you do by calling the method configure and providing parameter false, which indicates do not use the, the synchronization context, which is there. The problem with this approach, though, is .NET platform or .NET team, C-sharp team specifically, they had to make a choice 10 years ago. Should it be by default configure await true or configure await false? And because they didn't want to break .NET desktop applications, but the same applies to nowadays like Xamarin applications or Blazor applications running on the JavaScript thread. Uh, they decided await True should be the default to make this you know, rewriting code base just a little bit easier. Um, but now because like web apps are way more prevalent than desktop apps, we need to pay the price uh, of putting this it false everywhere, and why do we even put it there? We put it there because most of the times we don't want the continuation to go through the synchronization context, but we prefer it to go through basically the thread pool. So if we are writing like a library code or code that should be transparent to where it's running, whether it's desktop, Blazor, web application, Xamarin, or Raspberry Pi we should put configure await false. And here comes the second rule of thumb. Configure await false all the way down, because if you forget about it in one place uh, across your call stack, then in that given place, the continuation will be scheduled through the synchronization context. And again, you may run into deadlocks, just like when you forget to put await and start doing some crazy black magic. So, two rule of thumbs: configure it false all the way down and async all the way up.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've seen configure weight so much over the years and things like that, and never really had a good understanding of okay, when do I make it true? When do I make it false? You know, and then is there a way for me to do this globally, or I, do I have to do it on every single statement that I'm I'm doing this? And uh, I think it's you have to do it in every single statement, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, like this is a question like I'm getting quite uh, quite often. First thing, uh there is uh, to the best of my knowledge there is no like switch in compiler or whatever else that would reconfigure this for you. So you need to do it manually and you really need to put it everywhere. You can't even wrap it in like an extension method or whatever method because that method would be basically a different method. So you know, that's not the point. You need to put configure force in that place instead of in other methods. Uh, there are extensions to FODI. FODI is this very nice tool in in.NET that can post process your, uh, your intermediate language assembly and modify it, introduce constructors, aspect oriented programming, and other stuff. And uh, so there are extensions to FODI that can add configure force everywhere. Uh, but I haven't seen any like single solution that would really catch on and be used prevalent. I mean, be, be common across C sharp programmers and answering your question. When should I put configure await false and when can I ignore it? Um, most of the times you can put configure await false and that should be okay unless you really need it. And this is in like single. Let's say single-threaded apps like desktop or Xamarin or Blazor, um, you should definitely put it in, uh, in library code. If you have like libraries that are supposed to be consumed in various applications and should not necessarily change your concurrency or whatever, configure it false is a must. And this is, I even believe this is like a Microsoft recommendation as well. And if you are just writing the regular web Application and you're writing code in, let's say, controller layer or you know web services layer. You probably can uh, omit configure it false over there. That's because you don't have the synchronization context most of the time. So if you don't put configure it false, nothing changes. It would work exactly the same. But better safe than sorry. So personally, I put it everywhere.
0: Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever, you know, actually put it in my web apps and controllers and things like that. So, uh, yeah, but but if you're you're saying don't use async, then you don't have to worry about this problem because you won't need to configure await. Even
1: better, even <laughs> better. <laughs> Anything to add, Mark Adam? Uh, I'm like, you know, kind of clueless on configure await false. The meaning of it, I kind of understand a little bit, but I feel like I'm missing maybe a lot of foundational information on this. and I think what I want to ask is what's the what's the stupidest way you could explain this to me so I could retain it and kind of work with it, right? as a guy mm-hmm. who maybe doesn't know everything that's happening under the scenes.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, let me tell you a story then. <laughs> As you may have noticed, I'm really a storyteller. So, uh, but ju- just to give you understanding a little bit, you may remember that we have those, we had in our computer science this idea, hey, let's distribute our objects, right? We had Corba, we had RPC and other stuff. And whenever we call a method on an object, we always should ask a question: If this is like a we have multi-threaded scenario, can this method be executed in parallel by multiple threads, or maybe it should not be? And most of the frameworks really take care of that. Even COM uh, in Windows was basically about that: single-threaded apartment and multi-threaded apartment. If you ever seen STA in your desktop application, this attribute. That was exactly that, telling that, hey, this part of the code should be running single-threaded apartment, meaning if two threads try to call methods on a given object, those methods should be called in like one after another on a single thread, serial. That's it. Now comes async, and async is basically solving the same problem. You have a continuation after you await something that needs to be executed. And it's you can think of it as of another method. Now the question is, if I have two continuations, can they run in parallel or not? And what decides whether they can run in parallel or they should not? And the thing that decides is a little bit of machinery that is called synchronization context. And this synchronization context makes sure in desktop applications that all your continuations are running like serially on a single thread one after another that's it when it comes to like the machinery now what does it mean for configure await false you when you have a continuation just like you had with tpl world you have task uh, task run and then you had a dot continue with that was your continuation when you have this continuation something needs to take that continuation and basically run it, schedule it on some thread. And this something can be synchronization context when you have configure await true, most of the times. That could be differences, but this is good intuition. Or this could be just a, a, a thread pool when you have configure await false. But when you have thread pool, then obviously you have multiple threads and your continuations will run in parallel. That's the difference. In web applications, it doesn't matter because in web applications like in ASP.NET Core, uh, we do not have the synchronization context at all. So configureAwait false versus configureAwait true doesn't matter, it's effectively the same. In desktop applications though, we have this synchronization context because we have this single-threaded apartment because there is only one thread that can modify UI controls. So you need to make sure that if you if you run on a GUI thread and you do await, I don't know, download me a file from the internet. And then after downloading, you would like to change the button color to green, I'm done downloading. Then this change of the color needs to go on the UI thread. So after await, your continuation must go on the UI thread must go through the synchronization context. So you should use the synchronization context, meaning you should use configure await true, which is the default. So if you omit it, you have the configure await true uh, by
1: default. Okay, so if I got this correct, if whatever is the continuation, the piece that's coming up afterwards, that code, if that code can, if I determine that that code can safely run in parallel, then I want to say configure await false. And if I'm concerned at all about it, then I don't add that configure await call to it. And then it'll go on the the, uh, the synchronization context. Do I kind of have that right?
0: Oh my kind God.
1: Of, That's oh,
2: kind yeah. of good intuition, yes.
0: <laughs> that's so amazing. The synchronization context has access to the GUI thread.
1: Yes,
2: in de- yes, in of okay. applications, yes.
0: Adam, I got a
1: second question for you. I heard you say that you can't do an extension method, but I'm not sure. So the the configure await call that's on a is that on a task? Is the the object you're calling? Is it a what is it on?
2: Oh, that's a very good question. I never remembered the name, but it's something really weird, which is a structure. Uh, so you can't pass it to some other method. That's, that's why you can't have the extension method. Uh, but it's wow. not a task. We can Google that, actually. On what type it is. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm wrong. It is on the task, but it returns something that is not a task. It returns configured task awaitable. And the thingy is, if you return that from some method that would be your extension method, then this thingy would be wrapped into task again.
1: Ugh, That's son of problem. a... Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> yeah. I was thinking you could create a, a, a real simple, you know, just so you can type fewer characters, right? But you cannot do yeah. that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like, to the best of my knowledge, you can't do that. I have never seen a a good solution for that. Maybe I'm wrong. I would love to be wrong here, to be honest.
1: I'm going to add a Code Rush template for it. So I just type in CAF and then hit spacebar, and it does everything for me. That's where I'm headed. Adam, you're brilliant. That was awesome. (laughs) I'm now a genius, everybody. Come ask me questions on this next. <laughs> so so what does Code Rush recommend for async? Uh Code Rush doesn't have any recommendations on it that I'm aware of. I don't think we have have anything on there. But I, I will say I've totally experienced the, you know, async all the way up, right? But I didn't mind that actually. I was like, well, in part now, Code Rush does have uh, well, I think Code Rush has these. I'm not sure if we're shipping these or these are my own, but I've got like one letter keywords short templates, rather, that allow me to introduce async just by hitting a letter Y in a space bar at the right place in the code. So if I do Y and space bar, it'll put in the word async for me. And if I do a W space bar at a place where an await makes sense, it'll write the word await for me. So when I did the async all the way up, it wasn't hard to do. I was just, it was just a few keystrokes. And I actually liked seeing the impact. It felt like a, almost a learning experience for me to, write, to get a sense of 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 what that impact was and and that cross-section through the code, right, that I was was changing.
2: I wish we had these tools back in the days.
0: Uh, Next, you talk about in your article something that a lot of people have probably ran into, and that's when they have a method that needs to uh, return nothing. And so most people will make it an async task, just generic task, you know, no return type things like that. But some people struggle with, you know, could I just use void? So, mm.
2: Good question, good question. Generally, never use void if you can. The problem is sometimes you just can't uh, it was uh, it is a problem with some other languages. It is a problem with some frameworks. It is a problem with paradigms we have. if you like if we had like button handlers in desktop apps, we we basically had void methods, right? We could put async void on that. And what's the problem with async void anyway? The problem with async void is that, well, we return nothing. So if someone calls such a method, then they can't await the result of that method. It's like a fire and forget, Um, meaning that uh, continuations, you can't wait for continuations. You can't wait for exceptions. You can't make sure the method actually executed, or it's done executing, or whether it's running behind the scenes or whatever else. Uh, This can still uh, kick us a little in C-Sharp when we are talking about event handlers. Because event handlers in C-Sharp or generally any delegates, um, when you add a lambda to a delegate and this lambda returns a value, What you get by default is you you get the value of the last handler that was added to the delegate. So if you added multiple of them, then you can't await them, all of them. You would be able to await just one of them. But this can be even worse in other languages. For instance, vb.net, as far as I recall, delegates in vb.net can't return any value. So effectively, you have void because of that. And so if you have void, you can't await. But this is not only about like void methods. This is also about the methods that are uh, like implicitly void because of how they are implemented. One of them is the constructor. Um, And you can't return anything from your constructor, obviously, apart from the type, the instance of the type you are constructing at this point, right? Uh, So effectively, you can't make constructor being async. And because some of us uh, implement, especially in DDD world, there is this uh, quite popular pattern, I'd say, that you, whenever you have um, an object, this object must always be created in a proper state. And proper state, meaning that this object and some people implemented like this, for instance, goes to the database and checks whether there are no duplicates, for instance. One of the common examples is I create a user I provide email and I want to make sure that the email is unique. So the object needs to go to the database, check whether the email is unique. And if there would be a duplicate, the object would throw, like the constructor would throw the exception, hey, not possible or whatever else, just to make sure your state is correct. But now because like API for calling databases asynchronous, you can't await such a method in your constructor, right? So you can't create an object that would be always correct. Um, and there are other, other issues like other examples of that. And this, this case is like for not only for C-sharp, you have the same problems in other languages that basically copycat the implementation, JavaScript and then Python and whatnot. And there are patterns to avoid that, but this is just yet another example where those things do not integrate well with whole platform, with platform as a whole. It may integrate well with our code base as such, but in different language running on the same platform or different patterns when we start using them, um, we may run into issues uh, because of async just requires you to reimplement uh, and put weight everywhere all the way up.
0: So, um, one thing I've ran into a lot of times when I'm doing async in my like little test console apps or using LinkPad or things like that is being able to get a good grasp on any exceptions that are thrown because the exceptions are going to be are thrown in another thread. So it, it messes with the stack, right? And you really can't, it's hard to get the full details of any exceptions that happen inside an awaited test, right?
2: That is true, that is true. Actually, when we talk about exceptions, first, it's way better now than it used to be a couple of years back. Visual Studio and generally .NET platform is now much better in like extracting the, the call stack at the time of the exception and propagating it. So now you do see how the async was propagated, how it propagated through, through your code base. And the tools kind of are aware of async and await now. Um, But still, async can change the exceptions for you. Because if you, for instance, call a method uh, that is void, async void, you can't await for it. So you can't get the exception when it's from. But the same happens when you call a method that returns task and you do not await it for whatever reason. Then this exception is propagated behind the scenes in the so-called out-of-band manner and like depending on the runtime you're on and depending on the year of the century we have uh, it may either kill your application or just go unnoticed microsoft actually changed this implementation a couple of times i think sometime in like net framework 4 4.5 around that time uh, those exceptions were killing the process now i think they do not kill the process anymore We'll see how it goes uh, later on in the upcoming years. But because there are multiple .NET implementations, it's not only like .NET Core from Microsoft, right? It may be, and it's allowed by the standard that those exceptions may take your process down. So generally, you should always await those things. Problem is when you can't, for whatever reason.
0: So the next things you cover in your article are, are Kind of some odd things that I never really thought about. Uh, so you're talking about uh, here. You're talking about it's talking about uh, it can change a thread.
2: Yeah, it can change a thread, and this is um, mm, this is a problem generally about locks, about uh, thread statics, and other stuff um and it's much much more for like library uh, libraries than our business code most of the dependency injection containers used to be implemented in a way that all the instances you register were basically held for instance in the thread static field and the thread static field as the name suggests holds a value there for each thread separately the problem with async, though, is if you have continuation, so you await something and there is continuation, the code that runs after, and especially when you have configuroid false, which we already mentioned should be the default, uh, then the continuation may go to any different thread from the thread pool. You have no guarantees on which thread the continuation will execute. So if you rely on the thread affinity for whatever reason, because you are using thread static or because you just took a mutex or a semaphore and you would like to release it afterwards or whatever else, then it won't work because you can change thread. So the the, the, the typical pattern that we can see that breaks is like thread static and we have async local type that was introduced, I think, in .NET 4.0. Five or net core some version, which is basically thread static used for, for asynchronous programming. So if you ever need uh, a thread static in async code, then async local is the type you should be using. Uh, but for instance, other thingy, if you would like to use the lock keyword in C sharp or use mutex from, from Win API, then you can't await in such a, in such a code block. So, the question is, okay, how do I take locks in asynchronous programming, right? And there are some implementations like async lock and, and other stuff. Uh, Stephen Cleary even wrote uh, uh, an implementation at some point, I think, in his library, async X. Um, but generally, those implementations or those primitives are heavily uh, or re- heavily rely on some assumptions, what you do with them meaning that because if you run multiple async methods in parallel and then you do task when all or when you do uh, recursive calls um, or whatever then those primitives for synchronization may just not work uh same for semaphores and um, same for primitives provided by microsoft so generally if you or when you enter the async world because you can switch for Some mechanisms that your code may have relied on or some other libraries you are using could, uh, could be relying on may just stop working, may just stop working because, because of that difference. And if you do interop with C++ or, or whatever else, be super careful with async because, because of that, it may break your code.
0: So in my personal code, where I tend to use locks is mostly in my caching layer. So a caching layer, caching class, or anything like that, should that avoid using async? If, for instance,
2: your pattern is I take a lock, then I check, hey, is this key in the cache? If it's not, then I would like to call some REST service or database or whatever to get the data. And put it back into the cache, then, well, C code would not even let you await this method that would do this IO call, right? Because you are inside the lock statement. Sure, you can put it in some other methods. You can unroll lock keyword into a monitor, try and monitor enter, monitor exit. You can be clever, right? No one will stop you. But then you will just get the exception after the continuation that you're running on a different thread. So this caching pattern is really cool because, well, this is something that we are kind of locking on. And there are other patterns as well. For instance, the so-called double checked lock, which is by the way, pattern we should never be using because of the caches on CPU uh, level. But anyway, the typical implementation was you lock the instance, you check if it has been initialized. If it has not, then you initialize it and then you exit lock and you return the instance, right? So now if this initialization is again, something that needs to be awaited for whatever reason, you can't do that inside such a lock. So some of your patterns may break and, or may work completely unexpectedly just because you, you change thread for your continuation.
0: Mm, interesting, interesting.
2: And it's also worth noting here that you never know whether you will change thread or not because if your method, async method, executes synchronously, then there is no waiting in between. Even though you put await, there is no waiting and you just run on the same thread. If you put configure await false, then hey, your continuation may move to some other thread, but may stay on the same thread, the, the very, very same way. If you do configure await true, then we actually enter another problem of, of async and await, which is you capture a synchronization context, which is a global variable on your thread. And this global variable, as it happens with global variables, can be replaced, can be changed by anything. So you don't know what synchronization context you run on. One fancy example here you can see is obviously we'd never do that, and we never have. But if you ever wanted to implement like a unit test that was creating some WinForms components for whatever reason, obviously that's a heresy, right? But if you ever had this case, then your unit test is most likely running on some n unit x unit whatever else that doesn't use the WinForms synchronization context. So if you create something like new button or new form, then this constructor of the WinForms uh, control will go and see, hey, do I have a WinForms synchronization context? If I do not, well, I replace it. I step in and change the global variable because why? why wouldn't i right and then this global state is changed and you run a deadlock in your unit tests uh, so that's yet another case that we should avoid just using uh, winforms in unit tests but anyway anything can step in and change your synchronization context so you have no idea how it's implemented whether it uses one thread multiple threads whether it is deterministic or not story may go on and on
0: okay so the next section of your article talks about hidden state you know, why would I care that it has an in a hidden state? Very good question. A very good question. I mean, uh, most
2: of us programmers at some point learned about like a pattern uh, that is called service locator, right? And or singleton. And those patterns, well, they are cool, right? They do the job. They are easy to implement. Why, why would we not be using that? And once we, you know, uh, move, like, progress with our experience and whatnot, we realize singleton is not necessarily the best idea because, like, you can't control who accesses the singleton, right? So we implement singletons differently with dependency Injection. Same goes for Service Locator. Service Locator is basically a global state that you can touch from anywhere in your code base and it can return you have no idea what. Right, anyone can register into service locator. Typically, anyone can get something from it. So we learned that hey, maybe that's not the best idea. Maybe instead of using service locator, maybe just inject things into our classes, methods via constructors and whatnot. So we can control the scope. Um, and the same is for the hidden state. The same goes for the synchronization context in .NET in C sharp. If it's a global variable that anyone can go step in and replace, it's just not necessarily the best approach we have. We as an industry, we learned that some patterns are cool, but can be dangerous if abused or overused. And this hidden state, global variables, and things that we don't control, those are examples of those things that we probably
1: should avoid. Okay. I have a question, Adam, on that. Is it, um, I guess, the it seems to be that if you have control over all of the code, that that's not really a a concern. It's only a concern if you don't have control over the whole code. For example, in the architecture that supports plugins or something like that, is is that assumption correct or is that not correct? Do you think that even if you have control of all the code, you're still opening yourself up into a kind of a dangerous way of working?
2: That's a fantastic question. And the answer is twofold. Um, First is like about best practices, right? So from the best practices point of view, we should not have this global state most of the time. So It doesn't matter whether we control or decode or not. Um, But we know that best practices should be used carefully and sometimes it's worth breaking them or not following them for whatever reason. Um, And then if we disregard this case of best practices, then what you're saying is actually like you nailed it. When you control your code base, then probably most of the things we are talking here are not that dangerous because, well, you know your threading model. So you don't really, you know your synchronization context. You know whether you have handlers that return value or not, void methods or whatever else. You can step in, rewrite it the good way. In such a case, that's not a problem, as you were saying. The problem begins when you do not control your code. Plugin architecture is one of the examples. Web application, when you, dynamically load code is another example. Things when you interoperate with different technologies. Blazor, for instance, because you interoperate with JavaScript a lot. That may be might be a problem. So the more you expose your code base to things out of your control, as you were saying, the more careful you should be. But if you do control the code, yeah, you're you probably are pretty safe when you when you have everything under your control.
0: Okay, the last section of your article talks about uh, async doesn't follow best practices. So take us through that.
2: Yeah. Uh, so generally, uh, the, let's, let's quickly skim over some of them. First thing, whenever you do any concurrency, any parallelism, the, the first rule of thumb is never wait without a timeout. You may be surprised how many times your code will deadlock or will eh, like wait endlessly just because mutex should be released after like a millisecond, but is stuck for hours or even days. You should always have even some crazy timeout like 60 minutes just to learn one day that, hey, you, you just hit this timeout for whatever reason. And the problem is how do I await a method with a timeout? And for many years, there was no one extension method doing that. The typical recommendation, typical approach was you had to do task when any, call your method. And for the second parameter, put something like task delay one hour or or whatever. And then after this task when any, you check which task completed first, whether it was a timeout or not. Okay. Um so this is a, a problem because uh because waiting with a timeout is something we really should be doing you should never wait without a timeout and there is there was no easy support for that in the uh, in the code uh the other problem about not following best practices was generally do not repeat yourself right And just like with configure await false, why do I need to repeat myself over and over again? But this goes much broader. For instance, when I have a method that is both synchronous and asynchronous, for whatever reason, but many libraries provided, or at least used to provide methods like that. Uh, So both counterpart, which was async task, and synchronous, which was just returning the value. Then I effectively need to implement those two methods twice. Like I can't reuse the code because, as already mentioned, I can't call async method from synchronous one because that's dangerous. I could call synchronous method from asynchronous one, but that would be completely, that would completely miss the point. So I effectively have to implement that method twice. I even provide a, a very, very interesting example or of basically a read all text method that was in the .NET platform. And like the synchronous part was literally six lines of code. And if we exclude the debug assert, then it's like two lines of code. But the asynchronous method had something like what? 30 lines of code, much more complex. Not to mention that it's doing exactly the same. Uh, Another thing is that our methods, they should not care whether they run in asynchronous scenario or synchronous one, because why would we? When we implement our code and we implement like a piece of logic, would we like this method to be aware whether it's running, I don't know, on this machine or on some other? Would it, should it be aware that it's running on Windows or Linux? Should it be aware that it's running like a user, uh, regular user or administrator or whatever else? Those are things we typically hide, right? Because they should not affect what we do. And yet with async, basically every method we need to implement is aware that this code is asynchronous. If you ever had to replace your code or re-implement your method from using regular task to value task, you know what I'm talking about. Your method shouldn't care what it returns and how it allocates memory, right? Should just do the business code, not necessarily care about those. Other stuff is like I provide much bigger example of dependency inversion principle, but generally the the long story short is that you can't control how your method executes, whether it executes or on single thread or on multiple threads. That's because of the, the synchronization context and whatnot. And while I'm saying that method shouldn't care about that, the color of that method may care for whatever reason, because that could be an infrastructure code. Right. But the color of the method cannot control how it works. Your method may start doing some nasty stuff, just like we don't want our methods to call datetime.now because we know it's much harder for unit testing when someone uses datetime.now and we prefer to inject interface for doing that. The same way we don't want methods just to, you know, spin up threads out of blue sky, right? Or go asynchronously, change the thread, break the synchronization primitives or whatever else. So the caller would like to be able to enforce how a given method executes. Again, not possible with async at all. And um, and while on that, there are methods or there are ways to implement that properly, but that would take much more scaffolding and much more code around that we would need to pass, or much greater support from the C sharp compiler. So because of that, the async and await is kind of how baked solution uh, that really delivers the value. That's by like that's for sure. But still, it could be implemented way better to also deliver control, something we lack at this point. Probably we could come up with different examples where it doesn't follow best practices. But well, those are just a few that that I find most irritating.
0: No, I just want to say that I'm definitely a, a guilty person of writing synchronous and asynchronous methods doing the same thing. Because I was, you know, trying to migrate things from synchronous over to asynchronous on an existing code base and things like that. So, yeah, I d- definitely did that. But, but now I'm going to get rid of all my async code. I won't have to do that anymore, right? And to finish that on a strong note, <laughs>
2: I don't want to go much deeper into the computer science stuff I was covering briefly. But just to, just to give you understanding of what's going on. When the c async was implemented back in the days, uh, this approach used, using coroutines quickly spread out to different languages. I mean, JavaScript, TypeScript, Python, Rust, other languages, C++ as well. Uh, but Java decided to go different way, and they implemented their project Loom, which is based not on coroutines, but on green threads, on threads running in the user space. And the advantage of that approach, like let's start with the disadvantage so we can mock Java as C-Sharp developers do a lot. It took them like five years to implement that. Uh, But the advantage of that is they really didn't need to re-implement the code base of the applications at all. You didn't need to implement async await. You didn't need to put those keywords anywhere. You were just doing thread sleep or thread wait or whatever else and it started working asynchronously, just like that by replacing Java. And uh, I mentioned this white paper from Microsoft Research that claimed uh, coroutines are way better, green threads are, shouldn't be used. And it was like five years back. But now I think it was middle last year when when Project Loom was released in Java. And some people started playing with it and observed the performance gains. Like they moved from C10K problem of having 10,000 concurrent connections to something like C5M, having 5 million concurrent connections to one machine. Uh, Microsoft uh, mentioned, and I think it was David Fowler. He tweeted on, on, on Twitter that, uh, that Microsoft will now be experimenting with green threads in dotted platform. So when people used to ask me about this article back then, are we ever going to re-implement this stuff? Because I provided um, a proof of concept implementation using green threads, how the easing could be implemented differently. I was always saying, nah, I don't see that coming. But now, Sean, maybe one day, maybe soon.
1: <laughs> I'm thinking about where do I go from here so I'm not, you know, I, I'm not the guy that knows everything that I need to do to turn my async code into es- essentially equivalent code where I have control over everything, right? It seems like I, in order to take a step in that, in the direction that you're recommending, I guess, what's my first step? Do I have to get that foundational knowledge first? Do I, is there a way that I can make a, a gradual step? like a best practice kind of stuff. What do you recommend?
2: Very good question. Um, I believe, well, apart from my blog post, obviously, uh, obviously there is a great source uh, by Stephen Cleary. He has a lovely uh, series of blog posts uh, called It's All About the Synchronization Context. Uh, And in this series, uh, Stephen explains why synchronization context matters, how things are implemented and why it's important. And answering your question, I think the first step and the step that you can stop afterwards is if you understand the synchronization context and how it's kind of implemented, how it works, then it's all you need. Because we all use async and await and it kind of works, right? Why would we change stuff? Uh, so, the only thing is to understand what the pitfalls are, how that's implemented. And if something breaks, then we can start figuring out what to do. Um, as we mentioned during this uh, during this episode, if you have performance issues, consider your exceptions. consider getting rid of ASIC, right? If you use locking primitives, Think twice how you use async and await. If you do DDD and you need to call something from constructor, figure out whether you really can avoid doing that, right? But if you write your async code and you're happy with it, then you don't need to do anything apart from, you know, extending your foundational knowledge about how it's implemented so that when it breaks or when it's slow or whatever else, then you're just ready because you understand the mechanism.
1: That's okay, it. I love I love that answer, Adam. That's definitely an actionable item for me. Um, I have another question for you. You're talking about performance issues, right? And it would it seems to me that it might be a situation where you cannot actually detect that get that async and await is the core of the problem until you actually try doing it the other way and comparing. Is that true? Is there does it, is there a footprint, something I can see in a profiler that tells me, oh yeah, my garbage collection is high, it's likely all my async and await calls?
2: I find it unlikely, to be honest, uh, because async and await spreads across your code base. So you will kinda get performance impact on all the layers. There is one situation though where you could see that it is due async and await and how you use it. Because those continuations and asynchronous code, they heavily use the thread pool. Depending on how your thread pool is configured, you may end up in a situation that you basically saturated it for whatever reason. And then your application will slow down significantly i'm not talking about like you know one two percent i'm talking about let's say 500 milliseconds per every web request that's something you you won't let it go unnoticed and there is actually a, a cool blog post by christophe Nassar and kevin goes um, but i don't recall the name but it is about the fretful saturation where they provide five or six different uh, scenarios uh, where you can easily see that if you just change the way you create your coroutines, change the way you call your async methods, your thread pool may like get hit significantly or may work perfectly. And literally, it's like a couple characters of code change that they may break that. So if you hit that situation, it's easy to see that it's due to coroutines, thread pools, and async await. And Otherwise, your performance impact will be probably spread out throughout the code base, so you won't find it uh, that easily, which is a bummer, because if that is due to async and await, then first, you can't easily tell, and second, confirming that hypothesis would take re-implementing whole application, which is kind of expensive and time-consuming.
0: Okay, so we uh, as we wrap up here, uh, are there any situations where you would actually recommend that somebody use async? Good question. Uh, first, async gave us a lot.
2: I mean performance improvements are non-negligible, so generally, like now I don't think um I don't think I can actually recommend not using async. I mean whole world migrated to async. All the libraries are async and generally we should be using them. And if we were able or capable of making a choice in given part of the code, whether I go with async or or synchronous, I would recommend going with async anyway because it's easier, uh, easier to change the code later on. Unfortunately, we can't refactor the code easily because of async all the way up and all that stuff. So better be prepared, especially that sooner or later, you will come some asynchronous method. But apart from that, if we are to uh, to heavily co- like compare different approaches and maybe not think specifically about .NET and C-sharp language as it is today, but generally I would recommend going with uh, with async when the performance is not crucial and we can easily implement the code single-threaded. If we can do it this way, then going with async to make it like multi-threaded, asynchronous and whatnot actually is a good idea because it doesn't take much re implementing stuff. So if you were to pick your paradigm for whatever reason and you don't feel like being an expert in heavy, low-level threading, definitely go with async because it's just much simpler and still gives you most of the benefits. It's just when you hit those edge cases about interop, about dealing with some legacy code or about dealing with different .NET languages, that's the moment when you might consider not going with async just because of interoperability. Apart from that line of business applications, async probably should still be good.
0: Okay, so use async but don't use async. Yeah, got. <laughs> Simple as that. So, so all my Simple all my, my Entity Framework method calls are still good that I I leave them async.
2: As long as you don't put them in your constructor and keep it under the lock, they are still good. Okay, <laughs> that's good. Anything else? It's worth add? it's worth actually, you know, understanding. Obviously, it's always a matter of choice, right? But depending what application you implement. If you're talking about libraries, it's a little different than line of business applications. What's your assumption? If you're a LA- LOB guy, just go with async. This the, the easiest stuff. If you're a library guy, then start thinking, start considering various approaches.
0: All right. So uh, let's uh, move on to picks for this week. Uh, Mark, what's your pick? Uh, my
1: pick is generative fill in the Photoshop beta. This is an incredible feature. Uh, and and, and I, I will say that it's not without some weird quirks, but I was using it just before we started the show today. I started with a close up of a, uh, a cactus and I wanted to get a wider shot of it. So I stretched the canvas out. I selected the area on the outside of the picture and I said generative fill. And the feature, if I don't tell it what to put, it'll just try to continue and fill it in. And it builds. It built the leaves of the cactus outside of the frame. It built the ground around outside where the, the uh, cactus was there. Did it all in about, I want to say 20 seconds, 25 seconds. Uh, I was so amazed. You can, t- and you can also give it text prompts, type it in what you want to be in that space. Um, I did. Like I said, I had a few weird moments. One of the weird moments was uh, one of the tips of one of the cacti that it built, were the cacti leaves or the, the edges of it was kind of brown and didn't look as as fresh as the the others, right? As full of life. And so I said, you know, fix these, make them have the same red tips as the rest. And it put on some cap from a handle or something on the end of the, the flower. And it gave me three alternatives that were all like that. And I I went back and scanned my text prompt to see what did it misunderstand and I couldn't find anything. So it didn't always come up with amazing stuff, but often it really did. And I really, really liked it.
0: Yeah, I definitely, I'd agree with that. I've seen some of the uh, the videos on that. And uh, you guys probably don't know, I used to have a side business doing uh, real estate re- retouching. And often people are saying, you know, add this to this or replace this or you know quite often the grass was like terrible and I have to replace the grass or yeah. replace the sky with blue sky and things like that And so uh having this kind of a tool for that kind of use would be would have been awesome um, yeah it
1: allows you yeah. it allows yeah in the old days it would be like do this thing here's what i want you to change here's what we we're both imagining it then you would go off make the change and bring it back you know sometime later now you can do it together sitting there, you know, do some what-if scenarios. Uh, it's incredibly productive. Yeah, I really, really was impressed. I was impressed with the implementation of the feature. Uh, it's incredible. I will also say that I've seen the videos and it was there was something about doing it firsthand that made it way more impressive and way more exciting, way more thrilling. Really, really impressive feature.
0: Yeah, my claim to fame is that I've done real estate retouching of uh, properties for Kelly Rippa and Queen Latifah and uh, Raphael De Niro, you know, that kind of people. I didn't work with them directly. I was working with the ph- photographer that did the pictures, but, uh, you know. I'm, Dude,
1: you I'm, can yeah. set me up. You can <laughs> set me up. We can, I can meet these famous people.
0: I've only got a couple of degrees of separation, but.
1: They we can do that. it together. Yeah. Next show will be about all my exploits. Finding all these people, pointing out the things that you added to the shot.
0: Oh yeah, it's it's amazing. I I've, I've seen some pictures just show up on the internet that say, "Hey, I did that." Because like, a lot of the places that I did were in New York City, so cool. That's yeah. cool. So uh, my pick this week is another Netflix show. It's Fubar. And it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. And, you know, it's not the greatest thing, you know, ever. But it was entertaining. You know, it's got a kind of a reused storyline. It's a CIA agent that's kind of going on one last job and ends up finding out that his daughter was also a CIA agent and he didn't know about it. And and she didn't know about that. He was that and he, she just thought he was just this bum dad that was always. Traveling and showing up late for things, whatever. But that, that's what my kids think about me. That last part, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's they call it an action comedy. So, but so it's good. It's entertaining. Uh, it's a it's a small series. They would probably do another one. I think it was successful enough. So, if you're looking for something you don't have anything else to watch, check uh, out uh, Foo Bar on uh, Netflix. All right, Adam, what's your pick? So my pick for this week is called Send
2: Browser, and this is yet another fork of Chromium. Um, But this one is really cool uh, because I'm a huge fan of this Firefox extension called Multi-Account Containers. It's amazing when you really need to separate your accounts for whatever different projects you have or whatnot, uh, so this is really cool. Killer feature. I, I always miss it in, in Chrome. But some things do not work in Firefox. One of them being, for instance, Slack huddles. They just don't work in Firefox, at least not on my machine. Uh, and send browser is a, a fork of Chromium that it has this feature. They call it multi-logging tab. So you can open a new multi-logging tab in the same window. And two tabs from different multi-logging scenarios, they do not share the, the accounts. So you can log into different teams team spaces at the same time, or different Netflix account or whatever else, different slacks or what you want. And, and it works. And this is based on Chrome. So all the features of Chrome or Chromium technically are supported so 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 pretty, pretty cool, uh like I'm saying, I find multi account containers in Firefox way better, but if you can't go with Firefox, then send browser is could be a good replacement in that scenario
0: okay um thanks, Adam for uh you know giving us the the rundown on on ASig today. Uh, that was a uh, very very informative and instructive to me, so
1: really i have to Thank you.
0: really think about you. you know what i want to do what do i want to do now
2: so. <laughs> glad to hear that
0: <laughs> all right uh as we wrap up i'd like to let our listeners know if they want to reach out to the show they can touch get in touch with me on twitter i am at @.net superhero we'd love to hear your feedback and any suggestions of future shows that we talk we should talk about so Thanks very much. And we'll catch everybody on the next episode of AdventuresIn.net.